Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, but and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the, uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent. Said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. I'm going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now... There's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with Brother Colton uh, for a few moments this afternoon. We're talking about math. Uh, that's not a that's a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Maud. That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math, my brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you, found, you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, and I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I, I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, he proves every day his love for you. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up, teenagers... Did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead, a reminder of his love for us. And we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight, but I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to take a few moments uh, just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word, uh, just to relish in what God's done. Uh, just to praise him, just to worship him tonight. Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. Lord, we get a few glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. 
Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God, worthy is the Lamb. But Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And Would it take more money? Would it take better health? Would it take greater happiness in your life? More comfort? A better job? A bigger house? A newer car? What would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was. I think that's right, maybe 94. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. <laughs> but my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake. It was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think. Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think. Chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, you know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake <laughs> and as a birthday gift. And that day... As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his, it was his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. 
But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does, everything God does, he does for a specific purpose. He, he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always, if we look in the, the account of creation in Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He, he, he loves us. He, he does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes, of you know, God searched through heaven looking for... God didn't search through heaven. I, I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back. Oh, no, man, what am I going to do now? Man, sin. Where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for because he loves man. God never throws anybody away. For a little over a year now, God's put a burden on my heart. I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon, but God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away we live in a culture today Christian culture where we give the gospel out and we try to reach people and so many churches if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel and he watched as the potter broke the vessel. But he didn't throw the clay away. He simply started again. Christian, we need to understand the love of God, that God doesn't throw you away. He doesn't throw me away. He desires to use us and to mold us and to make us. Now, does that mean that we're, I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do? There are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks in the potter's house we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily we look at it as wow something good happened today God loves me 
Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maude fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, I'm beautiful. Exactly. No, I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, he still loves me. When I, when I disobey him, he still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but he answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight, and I, I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening, but I want to share four thoughts, four proofs of God's love, and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one, he quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago, is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you are born again, child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But he quickens you. When I was in grade 7, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and in my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway, through the living room, into the kitchen, and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring, and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 
12-year-old brain. I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball, kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke, and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully... Colton, you having, you having trouble yet? I know it's... He's, a, he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying, and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still, uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. She might have even said a, a real foul word like, shut up. I don't know what she said, but she's, what's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof. And he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder. He jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am. Blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit. And they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick. There, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down, the nurses holding me down, and that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Maud. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because he quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter E there, he quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of his mercy and his love towards us. In verse 4, we were dead in sins. In verse 5, we were hell bound. Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, uh, commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said, grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, so does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all and enlarges the soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. 
He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said, our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top Ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed. He, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer, who I was thinking of, who killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I, I'm, I want to make available to him salvation. Had he trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we go, oh, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And he doesn't love you because he wants to get something from you. He doesn't love you because he, he's, he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And his love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? <laughs> well, as a boy, I, I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. 
I think sauerkraut's awesome, Brother Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us with an everlasting love. For John 4, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. God's proven his love through the Son, Jesus Christ. Number two. The number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight. He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin, all of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on Him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it, all of sin. It was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on, when he came off of that cross, was buried with him, was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom that I preached back in 90, it was 98. My wife and I have been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my, my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket. To be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb. Your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary. He took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus. Taking my sin to the tomb. Because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He, 
he rose again, meaning that sin was put ever behind him. In the book of Psalm chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, And hath raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you those that know the English language better than I do will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights after they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground, when he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his love. He, he quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with him. I was buried with him. I was risen with him. He brought within the redemption our new creation. I'm not just saved from hell. And I praise God I'm saved from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell? I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother Mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, 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 here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Amen. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I have, I'm saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done as we see his love. I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He, he's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, Hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very 
very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I, I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you'd almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was, maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this. And uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Carrie was punching me. But Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world, you know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, joint heirs with Christ. Eternity is my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number 3 tonight, we see here that he shows grace. He shows kindness. Now, if... I'll let Brother Eric be God tonight. His wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face, I mean just pop! Brother Eric's a mild-mannered, genteel gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point, like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, but Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Popeye's chicken. <laughs> That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase... I've stood all I could stand, and I can't stand no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, there would come a point. The point would have come a long time ago where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. Amen. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. How wonderful here. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see his love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with him and through all eternity grace, kindness. God shows his love every day. Every day. It is of his mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening. Mr. Edwards, who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he, he wrote down his messages. He was very poor of seeing. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it's said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face, probably, probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem, as he would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It's said in a monotone voice, Brother Mott. It wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. Amen. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation, during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell. At any moment, could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you, that's where I was. But that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety. Speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I, I've, I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you, there's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a, a dummy. But I, I just knew I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> The Lord knows. If he wants me here, then I'm supposed to be here. I remember going in a building, and as I went to go in the building, the police in the police station at the bottom of the building looked at me and said, don't go in here. If you go in that elevator and you do not come back, Chicago police, they told me, we will not come look for you. 
We don't care what happens to you after you go in that door. We're not coming up there. Just so you know, you're on your own. That's not good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So, but pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That, that's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory, God's blessing. We see his kindness. We see his grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me, let me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation, I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four, lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Number four tonight as we see the next proof of God's love for us. He created you. Not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I, I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows. And I several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad. 
and I didn't use fiberglass. I used God's fiberglass. How many of you know what God's fiberglass is? Bamboo. And I, I did a tri-lamb bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form. And uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded. And I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think, on the top bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, Two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we were out soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something. I called my dad Paul. And as I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, I... Is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows. Because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never, I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up, and general area, probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live. And he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, as Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside. And just a little bit of everything, you go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, they, there in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel, actually, come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there, and there was an old knife, an old hunting knife, and this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store in this little town near where he knew that I was from that area, and he thought, I want to do something nice to pay him back. He paid a few bucks, maybe 20, 30, maybe 50 bucks, I don't remember, he bought this old knife. It was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart. The knife was pitted and old. And he sent it to me as a gift, and I, I was overwhelmed. That's really neat. That's really awesome, really cool old knife. And thanks to the wonders of the Internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. 
I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that. And I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation, the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value, as far as the world's concerned for that knife, is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me. His signature. He made me. He made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2. Unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a, a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created, Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So, listen to this statement. They await your doing. God created you to walk in those works. 
Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way, when I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly God spared them. They didn't. Several times they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this, preaching the word of God as an evangelist in the southern U.S. Every time he opens the Bible, lays on the pulpit it's a reminder he used to be laying down lines of cocaine he used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle he used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife but praise the Lord God created him and ordained him to walk in good works it's a reminder Christian I give that example because it's easy for you to see and, and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. Amen. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I, I was never a drunkard. I, I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving him praise for what he's done for us. For dying on the cross. Forgiving our sin. Placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two. By surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me, and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for his purpose.
to the growth process. First Peter or Second Peter chapter one verse five. I'm not going to turn there tonight, but virtue, on knowledge, on temperance, on patience, on godliness, on brotherly kindness, on love. We need to surrender to that process. Number three, how do we walk in good works? I'm going to close with this thought tonight. By serving. By serving in all areas of good works. What is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do. Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your your child to do or, or Brother Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam and said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple, what's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight, maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, And I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. He'll pull out a notebook. Okay. I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now, I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. He's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls, just like little Samuel, the day's gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Lord? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight, I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And, Lord, a lot of them don't get done. Because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love.
that you've proven over and over and over again in scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose. May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember Colton. Let's sing together. 301. Only trust him. Number 301. you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ but may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful that purpose, that fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Plan tonight. And uh, let's take our Bibles tonight. And look at Malachi chapter 3. And I uh, need some help tonight. Uh, or, uh, if you need a copy of the notes, uh, that's all right, Isaac. Um, if you need a copy of the notes, uh, there's, they're being handed out right now. Uh, we're looking at our fourth lesson on the attributes of God. Uh, it's been a little while since we've looked at this uh, series. But I'm excited to look at what we're learning tonight, the attribute of immutability. Uh, mutability, and uh, if you're looking in your Bibles, Malachi chapter 3. And we read in verse number 6, 
Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And let's uh, spend some time in prayer. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for uh, this chance to learn more about you. Uh, God, I ask for your help tonight, Lord. I uh, definitely need your help as I uh, teach. I, I pray that you would uh, help me as I uh, convey these truths about you. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to learn uh, about uh, you and apply it to our lives, Lord, that we would uh, go home and and be better Christians, Lord, for uh, having learned more about you, Lord. Uh, Lord, I ask uh, that you help me as I preach, Lord. I pray for uh, these things uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So back in uh, November, my wife and I, we switched out our internet service provider, and uh, we had been with Shaw for the longest time. I had been good deal, good service, and so we were with them, and then Rogers, how many of you guys uh, who, are, who are with Shaw, you, you notice I'll switch over to Rogers, and so I, I haven't had the best experience with Rogers, my family hasn't, and uh, we just weren't interested in, in staying with them, and we found a better deal elsewhere, and so we decided to pick a different internet service provider and do all the setup, and uh, by the time we actually got everything set up, it was November. We uh, asked them to come in September, but it just kept de- getting delayed. And once they got it all set up, uh, as a result of them you know, changing the service, and it was a different kind of service coming in, uh, we had a different uh, Wi-Fi uh, router in our house. And uh, because of that, the, the network name was changed, the password was changed. And so I was, I was thinking, what in, what in the world am I going to do? Because in a lot of my house... Uh, I've got smart devices and light bulbs and other different things around the house. And so all those things would have had to been reconnected to that new network. And I was thinking about the amount of work that that would take just to reset up everything. And uh, fortunately, I, I looked into the app and I thought, oh, good, there's a spot. I can change the name. I can change the password. And I go to put in the old name and the old password and says, no, you need to have this in the name. You also can't do this in the password. And so I was a little discouraged and I did a little bit of sleuthing online, trying to figure out, how do I do this? How do I get it back to the way it was? And I found a way I can go through a web browser, and I I changed it back, uh, and everything was back to normal. Didn't have to do a whole bunch of work to to set up everything. Uh, But uh, how how much that change would have affected my life, uh, I'm I'm thankful uh, that God uh, does not change. I'm thankful that he is consistent today, uh, he is today as he was yesterday, and he will be tomorrow as he is today. And so we see this truth throughout our Bible, this truth of that God does not change. Uh, and so tonight, uh, we will look at so some key instances uh, where we see this truth taught. If, you're ha- if you have your notes there, uh, there's a spot here for some of the key verses that speak about uh, the attribute of immutability. Uh, we see in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, in verse number 8, a wonderful verse. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there, Hebrews 13, 8. And we read, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And so I'm thankful that our, our Savior is the same uh, today as he was yesterday and will be the same forever. Uh, and then as well, James, if you're looking at Hebrews 13 and uh, you look the next page over, um, one more page for me, James 1, chapter 
uh, chapter 1, verse 17, uh, we see every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Uh, we see God is uh, not variable. He does not change. Uh, he is not different one day to the next. And then as well, we see in, in Job, Job chapter 23, you're looking there, verse number 13, we read, but he, and this is speaking about God, but he is in one mind, and who can turn him, and what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. We see even, uh, even more, God does not change, but that which he determines and says he will do, he will do it. And so I'm thankful for that. Uh, we see uh, Heraclitus, he was a Greek philosopher. He is, he's often quoted as, as saying, change is the only constant in life. Uh, he said, you can't step in the same river twice. And so that, those things are, are very true in our lives. We live in a world uh, that is constantly in change. Uh, I, I don't think that needs to be explained much. It's very evident that we live in a world that is constantly changing. Uh, the, the human body is said to replace all of its atoms every seven years. Uh, so this means the atoms that compose your body today uh, were completely different seven years ago, and seven years from now they'll be completely different. Uh, and so we, anyone with, with eyes can see that humans change. We change physically. Uh, as we get older, we change. And also in our personality, we change. Uh, why do we change? I believe we change because we are not perfect, and we uh, constantly cha uh, change as a means to become either better at something, uh, we change to avoid pain, we change uh, for all matter of reasons, and in the Bible we see, uh, though God is unchangeable, he is the great change maker. Uh, he is uh, in the process of making all things new, he is uh, desiring to make us more like him, and we see in Philippians, uh, chapter 3, verse 21, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I'm thankful that even though God is unchangeable, uh, we have the ability to change, that we have the ability to become more like Christ, that we, uh, if we are lost, uh, we don't have to remain lost. I'm thankful that we have uh, the ability to change, to choose to change. Uh, it is part of God's great purpose to redeem man from the curse of sin, uh, to change us from our fallen state to the perfect state that he originally created man in. And we see God wants us to become more like his son. He wants us to be changed to be like his son. Uh, in Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn, firstborn among many brethren. And these cha changes only happen if we choose to obey him and, and do his will. Uh, we will not be uh, the perfect image of his son until 
the day we see him, but each day that we choose to obey him and trust him and follow his word, uh, he will make us uh, ever so more, more like him. We see, uh, we see in First John chapter 3, Behold, what manner of love hath the Father, uh, the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us, knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And so we see that God wants us to change to be like his son. Uh, so however, uh, unlike us who change constantly, who we need to change, I'm thankful God does not change, and nor does he need to. And so tonight as we look at this uh, topic of immutability uh, and who God is, uh, I, I would say that God does not change. And what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us who are so susceptible to change? Uh, we're so uh, commonly changing. Things are changing all the time. What can we learn from this truth that God does not change? And as we will see tonight in examining this truth that God does not change, uh, I believe that we'll find at least two great applications for our daily lives. And so number one, as you see, uh, we see number one, understanding immutability. And our, the definition we find for uh, mutability, if you looked at Webster's Dictionary, it says unchangeableness, the quality that renders change or alteration impossible. Invariableness. Immutability is an attribute of God. And our, this word immutability it's, it's, comes from roots such as mutation, immutate, immutable. Uh, the word mutate is from the same root, uh, but im... Uh, saying can't or not, uh, does not change, and God is not able to change. And we see number uh, letter A, that God is perfect. Uh, because of this, God is perfect. And so uh, God does not change. He is perfect. Uh, because he is immutable, there is no room for him to improve. Uh, there's no room for him to get any better than he already is. Uh, he is utterly perfect. Uh, there is, there's nothing... He cannot do anything better than he already does. Uh, God cannot and will not get in any better than he already is, uh, for he is the best he can and will ever be. And we see here uh, in Matthew, he calls us to be perfect. He calls us to uh, become more like him. Be uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Uh, he desires for us to be like him. And I'm thankful that when we are with him, when we uh, go to be with him, uh, he will renew our bodies, he will renew us and make us uh, perfect. Uh, and so also we see uh, God is perfect. We see in Psalm 18, and verse number 30, as for God, his way is perfect. Everything that God does is perfect. Uh, if you... Uh, are struggling and, and questioning, God, why would you do this in my life? Why would this happen? Uh, learn as Job learned that everything that God does is perfect, even though it might be difficult. Uh, God is for us. Uh, God wants uh, to do the best for us. Uh, God desires uh, 
and everything he does is perfect. Uh, so we can trust him. Everything he does is perfect. We can rely on him. Uh, it says in Psalm 18, I'll continue reading there. Uh, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. And because God is perfect and he does not change, I also believe that God's word does not change. God has preserved his word. I believe that we can trust his word. Uh, it says that he, God, is a buckler uh, to all that trust in him. We can rely upon him uh, for strength. We can rely upon his word. Uh, God has preserved his word. And so what a comfort this is to us, that in all of his doings, they are perfect. He knows exactly what to do. As we looked at the attribute of omniscience, uh, he knows exactly what to do. He is able to do it. As we looked at the attribute of omnipotence, uh, and he is there and ready to do it. He is present. And so in all that, he does not change. He is uh, what he does is perfect. All he does, he does perfectly. And in Ecclesiastes 3, we see as well, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men shall, should fear before him. I'm thankful that the way God does things, it's, it's long-lasting, it's, it's everlasting, it's permanent. I'm thankful that my salvation is permanent. Uh, when he saves me, he doesn't save me until I stumble. He doesn't save me uh, for a period of time. Uh, it doesn't, uh, he doesn't save me just for a part of eternity. He saves me forever. What God does, he does forever. I'm thankful that it's not like uh, buying a car and in 20 years' time, it's no good to use anymore. Uh, I'm thankful that uh, God, what God does, uh, is perfect. And then we see uh, letter A was God is perfect, but letter B, we see where do we find immutability in the Bible? And if you look with me in, in Hebrews, let's turn to Hebrews and chapter 6, we find in, in Hebrews the only two instances of the word uh, and forms of the word immutable. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 17. Verse number 17 reads, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. And we see here uh, this, this instance of uh, immutability. Uh, God is immutable. Uh, he is, they see the immutability. Uh, in this passage, it's speaking, uh, God made a, a promise. Uh, and it, this promise is unchanging. Uh, it is immutable. And uh, what are these two immutable things? If we continue reading, I think we'll find our answer in verse number 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil? 
with the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We see it, these two immutable things, I believe, are Jesus' death and resurrection. These are two unchangeable things. Jesus died for our sins, and he rose again from the grave three days later. And these two things, we see uh, these two things function as hope. And this hope it functions like an anchor. Uh, I'm thankful that we can rest on these two things, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. His death and resurrection uh, are things that we can trust as an anchor. If you're in a ship out on sea and you're, you're sitting there in the ocean, unless you set anchor, uh, you will move from where you're at. In our life on this world, we are much like a boat out at sea. And if we aren't anchored, uh, we are uh, going to drift off. Uh, and I'm thankful that we can rely upon these two unchangeable things, Jesus' death and uh, resurrection. So we see we have an anchor for our soul. And while we live in this tempestuous world, we can rest on this unchanging fact that Jesus died to pay the debt that we owed for our sin, and he rose from the dead on the third day. And then number two, uh, we see apparent contradictions to immutability. Apparent contradictions to immutability. When you think about the question of, or the, the, the attribute of God's immutability, the, the question may come up. How can God claim to be immutable, that he doesn't change, or that he, you know, he doesn't change? God claims this in multiple spots, as we've seen. When we see him saying that he would do one thing, and in another, uh, in the later part of the passage, we see him not doing it. Uh, when God has, for example, repented, it says in Scripture, how is this not a contradiction to the claim of immutability? And I hope to answer that tonight. Uh, we see uh, in Numbers 23, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? And then in Exodus 32, we see, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And so if we just look at these in face value, we find we're struggling with this contradiction. How is it that God says he does not repent? But in later, ver uh, another passage, we see God, the Lord repented. And so I believe we must not mix up uh, the concept of immutability uh, with the idea that God cannot change in his dealings with man. Uh, I don't believe these ideas are the same. I believe God stays the same in his character, uh, in his power, in his attributes. God is consistent with his dealings with men, but man is not consistent. And I believe that is the key to understanding what is going on here. When man, what man does one day, uh, the next day he may not. And so we see letter A, the common objection that many people will bring up when we talk about immutability is Nineveh. How uh, can we say God is immutable when, if we look in Jonah chapter 3, let's turn to Jonah chapter 3. And we'll read in verse number 4. Uh, 
And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. And then let's skip down for, to verse number 10. We see, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto, him, unto them, and he did it not. Uh, we see in this passage that it's often given uh, as an objection to the idea of immutability. God said that he would overthrow Nineveh in 40 days. He told his prophet Jonah to go and preach to them and tell them that they would be overthrown, that they would be destroyed for their wickedness. But we see in verse number 8, uh, we see that the people believed God. They believed, they repented of their sin, they turned from the sin that they were committing. Verse number 8, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God, Yet, yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Uh, the people, they believed God, they turned from their wicked ways, they repented of their sin, and so God, uh, he, who is merciful, uh, did not do to them as he said he would uh, because there was, I believe, a condition written uh, in that, that you know, if they uh, would not turn from their sin, if they were uh, sinning against God continually uh, and they did not turn, God would destroy them. But we see them turning from their sin and believing God. And so God, being merciful to them, did not do that which he said he would do to Nineveh. Uh, his judgment was withheld because the people changed. God only repents when man changes his ways. And so the, this repent, I, I don't believe it's the same as man's repent. Uh, whenever we see an instance of, of God repenting, it is him choosing not to do something anymore, uh, I believe because the conditions have been met that he does not need to do that thing. And so in God's condemnation of Nineveh, it was because of their continual wickedness that they would be destroyed. And when the people decided to believe God, to repent of their evil ways, God, the condition for their destruction was changed. And thus God did not overthrow the city. And uh, as we continue looking at this, uh, I, I believe Henry Thiessen, uh, he explains this well in his book of, of Lectures to, in Systematic Theology. Uh, he writes, Immutability is not to be confused with immo immobility. God is active and enters into relationships with changing men. In these relationships, it is necessary for an unchangeable God to change in his dealings with changing men in order to remain unchangeable in his character and purposes. God deals differently with men before salvation than after. Uh, the God who cannot repent, repents. Uh, his dealings with man change. Uh, so when, God, when man changes from evil to good or good to evil, uh, we see uh, man, uh, God repents. Uh, God's immutability consists in his always doing right and in adapting the treatment of his creatures to the variations in their character and conduct. His threats are sometimes conditional in nature as when he threatened to destroy Israel and Nineveh. And so we see uh, that God, uh, he, though he says uh, he does not repent in the situations where we see him repenting, uh, it is not the same kind of repent, I believe. 
And so these apparent contradictions to immutability, I believe, are very easily explained that God changes only when man changes. God changes in his dealings with man. And then number three, as we uh, wrap up tonight, uh, we see two applications learned. And as I was thinking about this attribute of God, I thought, what can I learn from this? What can I, how can I apply this truth to my life that God does not change? God is reliable. God is consistent. Uh, and so I believe there's two applications that we can learn as we examine this attribute of immutability. Uh, if we see, if God is consistent in his dealings with men, uh, we uh, ought to be consistent as well. And so we see the two great applications of immutability, letter A, is God, because God does not change, uh, therefore we can always go to him and find help when we need it. We can always go to him and find help when we need it. And so we see uh, in Isaiah in chapter 41, Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee and, and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be, thou, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Uh, we can always go to him. We do not need to be afraid because God is with us. Uh, we can uh, also see in Psalm 145, the Lord, uh, verse 18, Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. Uh, that when we want to go to God, he is always available because he does not change. He is uh, available to us if we come to him uh, in the way uh, he tells us to. Uh, he is always available. In Psalm 34 as well, verse 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. And as well, Acts 17, verse 27, That they should seek the Lord, and haply they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Uh, because God does not change, we, we know that we can find him. He makes these promises that if we seek him, we will find him. Uh, if we uh, search for him with all of our heart, uh, the Bible says that he is nigh unto them. We can find him. Uh, he is uh, always available to help us. As well, we see in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, it's a great promise that we can always go to him because Jesus is our great high priest. Uh, and we are able to go to God because he has uh, forgiven us of our sins. Uh, we, are, we have bold access to God. And that promise that he has made to us does not change. And so we see God keeps his word. Uh, another element of this, we can always go to God and find help. But also, God keeps his word. Uh, what he says he will do, uh, and his promises in the Bible, he will do it. We see in Philippians 1 and verse 6, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is able to do what he says uh, he will do. 
And 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as well in verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. And so we see God, whatever he promises to do, he will do it. Uh, if, if you need more convincing, Hebrews 10 and verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And so we can always rely upon God because he does not change. And we can always go to him and find help. Uh, he is always available. And then I believe in the second part of our application of this, uh, we learned that God is, uh, we can go to him for help, but also uh, God does not change, letter B. Uh, God does not change. And in that, we find an example to live by. Uh, probably next slide, my uh, B. Uh, God does not change, and in that we find an example to live by. Uh, we should strive to be consistent, reliable, dependable, and faithful in our daily lives. We see God as a ex great example to us that uh, we ought to be like him. We ought to be reliable, dependable. Uh, with the slide on the screen is uh, not correct to the notes, but uh, I'm thankful the, in that cold snap that we had a, a few weeks ago, uh, each day that I needed to, to drive to the church, uh, my car started. I'm thankful that I, I put the key in and turned it, and it started up. And I'm, I'm thankful that wasn't always the case last winter, but I'm thankful that every, each day I put the key in and I started the car, it ran. I'm thankful for the block heater that I found out about last winter uh, that I had installed and I went a whole winter without. And so I'm thankful uh, that, that it was reliable. I could start my car. Uh, and how uh, refreshing it is, maybe some of you who don't take, uh, you don't drive a car in, you take the train or the bus, uh, how refreshing it is when uh, a train or a bus runs on schedule. I was reading uh, about the Japanese uh, trains, uh, the high-speed railway line uh, in Japan. Uh, the high-speed uh, railway is called the Shinkansen, and it's known for its safety and reliability. And it's also, in addition to that, it's known for its punctuality. Uh, the, it, and I've, I was reading through some statistics about this, and I was blown away of how reliable these trains are. As a, it says, as a matter of fact, the average delay of trains, uh, of the Shinkansen trains, the high-speed trains, is less than one minute every year. That's the average delay. And so if the, I can imagine a Japanese man waiting for his train and looking at it, all right, uh, 12.50, it should be here. And 12.51, he's upset. <laughs> I, I, I cannot fathom the, the, how, rel how reliable they are. Uh, these trains are considered, uh, they're considered really late uh, when they are more than five minutes delayed. And when that happens, uh, it's not like, oh, well, you're, you know, we're late. They, I, I was reading that they actually give people, uh, they will give people a delay certificate so that when they get to their work late, five minutes late, they can show a certificate to their boss and say, hey, uh, the train was five minutes late today, un unimaginably late, five minutes. <laughs> and we see, it's just unimaginable to me how, how reliable these trains are. And so when I, when I was in New York City, uh, it felt like the average delay for the subway when I was there was 15, 30 minutes on average. 
Uh, I had some days where I had delays of up to two hours, and I took the subway every day. I took it at least twice a day, uh, going to my different areas of the city, chanting out gospel materials. And oftentimes, you know, 15-minute delay, and I'd be like, okay, that's not terrible. Uh, But sometimes I had some longer trips that it would take, you know, an extra two hours just because of how congested the, the trains were. It was incredibly disruptive to our work uh, for the day. And I believe that, like those Japanese trains, uh, we can be refreshing and, and dependable. When, when we're dependable, we can be refreshing to others. When we live consistently, when we live reliably, we, when we live faithful in our daily lives, uh, if we uh, determine that we're going to be faithful, we're going to be reliable, uh, we see in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, uh, great encouragement to us to be faithful. Therefore, uh, and this is actually the verse right after this verse on behind me here, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, uh, because we have victory in Jesus, it says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, uh, God does not change, and we, should, ought to, we ought to desire to be like him and be reliable, be dependable. Uh, and to what end? Uh, it says here in 1 Corinthians 15 that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. The little things that you do, the things that you are faithful to, uh, those little things are not in vain. They're not for naught. Uh, they're not for nothing. Uh, and, and your faithfulness to be in your place, it is uh, adding to uh, accomplish God's great purpose of reaching those uh, who need him. And so uh, let's, let's stand tonight as we take up our uh, invitation. Let's pray, and I'll have the pianist.